Well, good morning, Hillside. It is a wonderfully beautiful day. The sun is shining like a red rubber ball. It is Friday around nine-ish, which means it is time for our Friday morning devotion. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at one of my favorite psalms. Uh, I have preached on this psalm a number of times, and it is one of those things that um, over time has just become an incredible comfort to me. And so I wanted to go ahead and share that with you this morning. Uh, I can see a few of you on here thus far. I won't get started just yet because I know it takes sometimes a little bit for people to, uh, to show up. Uh, Glenna, I'm glad to know that it's raining. <laughs> it's raining somewhere. Definitely not here, but we're supposed to get rain later tonight, I believe. So wouldn't be surprised if uh, my beautiful sunshiny day this morning, I mean, literally not a cloud in the sky right now, um, wouldn't be surprised if it turned into a gray, uh, gloomy thing later on. But uh, all right, a number of you have joined, so why don't we go ahead and uh, read the psalm, Psalm 24, and then uh, we'll discuss what it's all about and why it matters for us today, okay? So it reads like this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. End of reading. So uh, it was, let's see, now, probably about four years ago, I was uh, uh, going to, I used to attend this, uh, this sort of fairly large men's Bible study every Thursday morning up near Rockefeller Center. Uh, it was actually at a restaurant attached to Rockefeller Center. Uh, for those of you who have been in New York City, you know that the complex of uh, the rock is just gigantic, and um, and part of uh, what part of the or the groups that that rent space in Rockefeller Center, one of them is uh, NBC Studios, and uh, in particular, the Today Show is filmed there. And one day after I got done with my Bible study, I think it was about eight, nine thirty, eight thirty maybe. Um, I w walked around the corner towards the Today Show studios, and I noticed something very different from what was usually there. I noticed that there was a gigantic line of endless black cars and black trucks. So because this was different, and frankly, the street was kind of empty, which is, of course, it used to be unusual for New York City, um, I, I just decided I'd stick around and see if maybe somebody, you know, some celebrity might pop out. And, and sure enough, uh, a celebrity did. Uh, not long after I had turned the corner, the back door to the studio opened up. And who did I see come out basically by himself at the time? I mean, he had one other person with him, uh, uh, you know, some sort of security. Uh, I saw 
the man who would become our now president, uh, Donald Trump. And uh, what struck me was, of course, how many different cars and different people in that procession were seen as necessary to protect and guide this, uh, at that time, just presidential candidate. And I don't know if you've ever seen a procession like that, but when you do, I mean, you can't help but know it's important, whether it be a political procession like I, uh, it's not uncommon to see things like that in New York City or maybe a, a procession for a funeral. Uh, whatever the case may be, the result is the same. People move out of the way. And frankly, it's about the only thing that will actually cause people to move their cars out of the way in New York City. That doesn't happen voluntarily very often. This procession of cars grabs everyone's attention because everyone knows something or someone important is coming. Well, in our psalm this morning, uh, King David is most likely describing uh, a different kind of procession. A procession, not with a black motorcade like we might see today, but a procession of priests and animals and dancers and worshipers celebrating ecstatically. And the reason they are celebrating is because after many, many years, the Ark of the Covenant, that great symbol of the presence of God with his people, is being returned to the people of God in the city of God. Today, in other words, God is coming near. That's what's going on. So, so first of all, David answers the question for us, who is this God? And he tells us right off the beat in verse 1, uh, he says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. In other words, to introduce us to the God that this ark represents, um, he wants to say, don't forget that this God is far bigger and far grander than just this ark. He is, in fact, the owner and sustainer of everything around you at all times. He is the majestic, powerful, and sovereign creator. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is holy. Now, it's, it is just the case. We know this from the biblical record that David had had quite a stark reminder of that reality on the way back to the temple with the ark. In 1 Chronicles 13 and 2 Samuel 6, I know not passages that are often read by most folks, but if you go there, you will meet a priest named Uzzah, or Uzzah, who was helping David carry this ark back to Jerusalem. When we're told that uh, sometime in the process, he simply reached out his hand to touch the ark to prevent it from hitting the ground, and instantly... He was struck down by God. Now, what was his heir? Well, assuming that his hand was more holy than the dirt. He thought he could simply reach out and touch God on his own terms. Uzzah, the priest, who would have known better, forgot who he was as a sinner in the presence of a holy God. It's possible that David is thinking of this very moment as he extols God's power at the beginning of this psalm. Now, I know uh, that story is harsh. It seems harsh to our ears, for sure. But Hans Kuhn, the Roman Catholic theologian, writing about these seemingly harsh judgments of uh, 
uh, from God against sin, makes, I think, a pretty profound point. He says, the mysterious aspect of the mystery of sin is not that the sinner deserves to die. We know that. But rather that the sinner in the average situation continues to exist. And yet, every once in a while, as David says in 2 Samuel 6, God breaks out and reminds the people just how holy and awesome he is. He is not to be approached lightly. Well, then the question is, who can approach this God, this sovereign sustainer of all things in heaven and earth? Or to put it the way David does, who can ascend his holy hill? Now, this holy hill David refers to is the hill of Zion leading up to the temple, the place where God summoned his people to fellowship with him, the place where the sacrifice for sins is constantly taking place, the place where really God's wrath and anger at sin is pacified. Who may ascend that hill, David asks. And his first response is those with clean hands. Those with clean hands can approach God. That's another way of saying those who are innocent, faultless, guiltless, those without sin indeed. Well, that's not all. He also says that those who would approach this God must have pure hearts. If it wasn't stringent enough that one must be perfect outwardly with their hands, David sort of ratches it up a little bit and says, we also must be pure inwardly from our hearts. But he's still not done. He also goes on to say, those who approach God must worship the true Lord of heaven and earth accurately. That is, not lift up their soul to anything that is false. Now, this, of course, is speaking against uh, idolatry. So if one would ascend God's holy hill, they must never have put anything before God in their heart, mind, soul, anything ever. And finally, he says, the only ones that can come are those who have been completely honest and have not a hint of deceit. And what is the reward for someone that meets these qualifications David lays out? Well, he, he spells it out. Verse 5, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Yeah, indeed, the very thing the Bible so insists we need to stand in the presence of a holy God. But of course, there's a, a gigantic problem here, and you all know it. Because when we're honest, and even indeed try to live without deceit, it becomes abundantly clear that there is no way that we qualify to ascend that hill. We're not clean enough. We're not pure enough. We're not worshipful enough. We get way too distracted. We are beset by ongoing sinful tendencies and sinful habits and sinful patterns in our mind. So then someone might be tempted to say, well, then forget it. Can't be done. So I'll just ignore it or run away from it. I don't want to ascend the holy hill of God. I don't need this God. What's the point? But, but listen, you choose to stay at the bottom of the hill. That doesn't mean that you remain at the bottom of the hill. It means you slide downward until you're a consumed by a hell of self-absorption and gnashing of teeth and wrath. 
What's at the bottom of that hill is, frankly, everything that you hate most about the world. Shame and guilt and pain and anger and betrayal and hurt and death and hell. So, frankly, if you would have any hope of life after death at all, you, you must figure out a way to ascend that hill. And that's when you're really left with one final option and really only one that I can see. Like the prophets of old, you can cry out, woe is me, and hope for mercy. You can say at the bottom of that hill, Lord, in and of myself, I don't have clean hands or a pure heart. I have worshipped far too many other things in my heart, and I have not been as honest as I could be. Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. Please. And it's at that point, when all hope is lost, that suddenly in the psalm, a voice speaks up from the Ark of the Covenant on your behalf, on the people's behalf. Lift up, you gates. A voice calls back from the holy city, from the top of the hill. Who is that? It's the king of glory. Wait, who is this? I said it's the king of glory. Who is this king of glory? It is the Lord, strong and mighty in battle. It is the Lord of hosts. But wait, Eric, I thought you just said that the Lord was in his temple. Well, he is. Then who is this who goes by the same name calling out? It can only be the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is strong in battle and mighty to save. Now you say, well, how do I know that? Well, think about it. The very ark itself is always meant to be a picture of Jesus himself. Think about what's in the ark. Within the ark, there are three items. The bread of life called manna that God provided the Israelites in the desert while they sojourned there. There's the priestly staff of Aaron, and then there's the Ten Commandments. The covering on this ark was known as the mercy seat, and on the Day of Atonement, the priest would sprinkle the blood of uh, uh, the sacrifices, a covering for the people's sins. Indeed, everything in the ark is telling us about Jesus' work. Listen to this. John 6, what does he declare he is? He is the true bread of life, just like the manna in the ark. In Hebrews 5, 4, Jesus is declared to be the true high priest of the people interceding on our behalf, just like what was represented by Aaron's priestly staff in the ark. In Matthew 5, 17, we're told that Jesus fulfilled the law of God, represented by the Ten Commandments in the ark. And of course, the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement was always and only meant to be a picture of the blood that Jesus spills to win our atonement. Therefore, the voice speaking from this ark, Jesus Christ himself, is authorized in every way to call out to the holy angels of the holy temple, let me in. He stands at the bottom of the hill with you and says, I am qualified to ascend the hill of holiness because I am the one who has ascended the hill of Calvary. I have ascended the hill of wrath on behalf of the world. He is the only one who can declare with a straight face, with complete confidence, I have clean hands, I have a pure heart, I have worshipped my Father perfectly, and I have never lied. 
And here is why that matters to you and why this is such good news. He comes to, the, to this hill carrying with him sinners. Now you say, but how can Christ carry sinners into the Holy of Holies? That's not allowed. Because this perfect one has decided to unite himself to you. And by this unity has given you all that he has won so that by faith in his name, he can say of you, they have clean hands. They have pure hearts. They have devoted worship and have lived with no deceit. I have blessed them and given them righteousness because I am the Lord of their salvation. Listen to what Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2 verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice the language there, folks. He has already raised us up with him and seated us up that holy hill with him. Why? Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Jesus says, I have paid for you. I have atoned for you with my blood. You are purchased. You are mine. And nothing shall ever separate me from you. So he shouts at the gates, let me and all who will come with me in now. And because all he says is in fact true, the gatekeepers have no choice but to open the doors. This is why it's no accident, folks, that on the day of Jesus' triumphal entry, the ancient rabbis tell us the priests and the people would have been reciting this very psalm. The king of glory is coming in and he's bringing sinners with him. So let me wrap up this morning's devotion for us. Uh, a while back, I caught a wonderful picture of this reality from a German movie called The Crown Prince. Now, in, in the scene, the Crown Prince Rudolph has just died and is laid to rest in a casket. And then his body is processed through out the town of Habsburg to the royal crypt in Habsburg. Now, of course, uh, this was quite an affair, and there was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people all around his casket as he was being taken to the door. I mean, this was a person with uh, royal roots. But the tradition in that town was interesting. Uh, in order to get the door open and have access to this royal resting place, the priest there had to know the person being buried. So they arrive at the door of the crypt, and they knock this gigantic door. Boom, boom, boom. And the priest on the other end of the door asks, who goes there? Being that Rudolph was royalty, the man in charge of burying Rudolph's body stands there amidst throngs of people and lists off a litany of important titles Rudolph had. The Kaiser, the Crown Prince, the Archduke of Austria, ruler of Habsburg, and he goes on and on and on for at least 30 seconds with all of these royal titles. When he finally stops, to the man's surprise, the priest on the other end says through the door, I do not know him. The man knocks again. Boom, 
Boom, boom. Priest says, who goes there? This time he simply says, it is Rudolf of Habsburg. And to his shock, the priest again replies, I do not know him. The man knocks again. The priest says, who goes there? This time, with a gulp in humility, the man simply says, Rudolph, a poor sinner. And at that, the doors are opened to his final resting place. This is exactly how true rest begins for you as well. It, by, it begins by coming simply as a poor sinner to the arms of your King of glory, Jesus, trusting that he will have everything necessary to grant you access to your eternal home. Because in him, the doors to the kingdom of God are swung wide open for all who trust him. That's a little breakdown of Psalm 24, friends. I hope this has been encouraging to you. I hope you have a great weekend as we're, we're entering in, and you'll join us for worship on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on Facebook Live. Until then, I will see you next week. God bless.